Get at two trees in Genesis chapter uh, two. Let's pick it up at Genesis chapter two. Last week we went down. I, I, I'll come back to some things on, on maybe on chapter one a little bit. But we actually finished up last week preaching on this, the picture of, of that creation is a picture of salvation. And we got into chapter two and said, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day. And we said that we can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's that word finished in chapter one. And when Jesus hung on the cross. He said, it is finished. And God wants us to rest in the finished work of God, uh, his salvation. And so Verse number three, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Now, uh, somebody said, I just throw this in. Somebody said, God must have been tired. I, no, God wasn't tired. God wasn't tired. The word rest there is the same thing you have in music. You have rest in music. It doesn't mean the music stopping or tired. It's just there's a, there's a pause. There's a rest. And God has created that. Now, I want to say to all of you and I, let's talk about the, the Sabbath day, the seventh day here a little bit. Uh, some people, you know, say you should worship on the Sabbath. Actually, when you bring in the Sabbath, it was a rest day, not necessarily a worship day at all. It was a rest day. In fact, the prescriptions for it in the Old Testament was that they weren't to do anything and the distance they would travel and so forth. And uh, the idea now, you, somebody said, Reggie, why do we worship on Sunday? Because the disciples in the New Testament worshiped on the first day of the week and they gathered the first day of the week and they laid it upside. For, you watch that phrase in the New, when you read the New Testament, first day of the week. And it, first day of the week also speaks of resurrection. Okay, resurrection. And that's one of the reasons that the, the, the church meets on Sunday. When you hear the Seventh-day Adventists talk about, oh, that come from Catholicism. It did not come. Sunday worship did not come from Catholicism. They were doing that long before the Pope ever, ever come dreaming in the four, third and fourth century. So don't let them tie you into that stuff. The reason we worship on Sunday is because it's the first day of the week, the eighth day. It's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. And we celebrate and worship a risen Savior. And that's what that's about. Now, having said that, if you go back into American history and our Christian heritage, you will find out that they established something that we often call now the weekend, the weekend. And the weekend, we would say, is composed of Saturday and Sunday. And here's what your forefathers tried to establish in this country and did in certain parts of the country and to some extent across was a rest day of Saturday from their labors and a worship day of Sunday and then start that work day week again. Okay. And I want to tell you something. Uh, it's not wise to not have a rest day. Now, somebody says, Sunday is my rest day. Well, I won't be honest with you. It ain't my rest day. I'm so wore out Monday morning nowadays. <laughs> so it's not my. So I have to sometimes kind of like maybe take a Monday or a Saturday. Nowadays, uh, for, for 47 years, I, I nearly did an auction. I, not every Saturday, but a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And I, people do sale on Saturday. And, uh, and then preach Sunday. Well, I need to get rest somewhere. And it'll catch up with you. In fact, I had a problem. It was depletion of your... Uh, neurotransmitters and stuff like that in your, your brain. I, 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 my brain's so small, if I think a little bit, I run out of brain power. <laughs> but no, let me just say something. Rest is very important. And, and we're talking not just about physical rest, but you need spiritual rest and you need mental rest. You need rest. Do not discount the Sabbath day or Saturday or the seventh day of the week as being an important part of your life. Okay, it has nothing to do with your salvation, but it does have to do in the creative design of God. You and I need rest. We do. And I'll tell you, there'd be a lot less 
psychological drugs and treatment and all kinds of stuff going on trying to compensate for this if people just back off and rest. Then there's times when you need extended rest. What does the doctor tell you? Drink a lot of fluids and get plenty of what? Rest. But we're so geared up, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty, probably more guilty than anybody. We're so geared up, boy, we got to go and get it done, and, and we'll hear, well, we just got so much time. And, <clears throat> but I'll remind you, go back to the Old Testament. All those men, Abraham, Moses, all of them, you check their lives, they had time when they spent with God, a time of rest, got away from things. Elijah had the Mount Carmel experience of the 850 prophets of Baal and Baal, uh, Baal, uh, prophets of the groves. And now that deal went all day long and into the night. Okay. Then he ran approximately 19 to 20 miles alongside Ahab's chariot. Anybody in here want to run 19, 20 miles? We got a boy comes to church here that runs 10 miles every day. I can't imagine a mile. (laughs) I can run across the yard. That's about it. But then, and it was, and then he got the threat. Watch this. He got the threat from Jezebel. That she's going to kill him. Now, let me just tell you something. When you get extremely tired and drained, and you can do this just in your business and in your work. It can happen in the ministry. Uh, It can happen in the house, cooking, cleaning, caring for children, the home, so forth, and the pressures of life. And you can just get wrung out. And I was going to be honest with you. When I get wrung out, I ain't worth spit and sure don't want to be around me. I get short, I get irritated easy, aggravated easy, and all of a sudden I think nothing goes right. You ever, you ever been there? And uh, nothing can happen. I mean, just a little old something happened. Nothing can go right. Everything's got to be a deal. And, and, I, I, and I know, you know, and I have this problem. I, I'm talking about, a lot of times I don't know much about, but I know something about this. But Elijah, what did God, so Eli, Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you by the time next day. He takes off running. And he got down there and he said, Lord, it's enough. I want to die. Now, what, what brought him to a point of where he wanted to die? He was wore out physically. He was wore out spiritually and every other way. And he'd had it. And, if, and I will say this, though. If you've never been in deep, consistent, extended spiritual warfare where you are a target of Satan in a very vicious way, he has... He has stuff coming from every side. And you're physically tired. You know, uh, you can have thoughts that are not good when you're wore out and tired and just exhausted and depleted and drained. And I would encourage us as a congregation, encourage you as a family, take time to rest. One day we're going to leave this world and it's going to go on without us. You know, I mean, it just is not going to stop turning because you and I die. And God teaches the principle of rest here. It's one of the Genesis principles is the principle of rest. Now, I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not talking about being a sloth. I'm talking about get rest. Sometimes rest, rest can be just you getting your Bible and going off the backside of the place or getting somewhere alone or going down to the creek, sit to read your Bible, take you, take you a sack lunch. Or maybe you and your wife just going down to Noblet Lake or going down to the creek and, uh, you know, just taking a day off. And I'd encourage you to do that. The world, let me tell you, after you've worked your guts out, the world's not going to applaud you. And not going to talk about what a wonderful worker you are. And by the way, your kids, I've never heard a kid, 
anyway, I won't get into that. But we just need to, I'll just leave it to this. Learn what rest you need. Learn the rest you need. And if you sense that, because it, it's more than just a physical rest. Sometimes it's a spiritual warfare and you just need to pull off. My Uncle Dean was in the invasion of Okinawa. And he said, Reggie, they would put you in there three days and then pull you out whether you wanted to come out or not. Because he said you'd seen too much. And they knew if they didn't pull you out from experience, they'd have mental cases and psychological spirit and spiritual cases to deal with. Men just come out shaking, just, they're just, they're just torn apart. And I mean, he said in the stuff you saw in there, especially at night, he said the killing that went on at night and the blasting and the flashing and he said the, the death and the smell of death. He said it just, you'd think he was like in hell. And, um, and he said they would pull you out because they knew if they didn't, you'd, you'd, you'd blow apart. And old Vance Havner used to say, Jesus told his disciples after that John the Baptist, if you don't think it's real, John the Baptist's head cut off. Now folks, let me just say something. That was a major, major event to those Christians, to those followers of Jesus Christ. Do you mean to tell me that the man who Jesus said was greater than any man born of woman, he got his head cut off for preaching? What did Jesus tell the disciples to do? He said, come apart and rest a while. Come apart and rest a while. It's very more important for you to get some rest so you can keep your... Just, I'll say this as a mother, as a father. I, at the age I am right now, I'd say it's much more important for you to get some rest once in a while than it is to you know, just keep going on trying to... In pride, trying to keep things going and thinking that this is... You know, I gotta, you know, there's a time to endure... And to stick it out, and you, it's, you can't pull back. But then there's a time to rest. And I'd encourage you, even you know, husbands, be sensitive to your wives. Does she need a rest? Does she need some back away time? And uh, you may think, well, that's no big deal. It's just being a housewife. Well, Satan works on housewives. And you wives ought to be sensitive to your husband you know, and, and help him maybe figure out a way to get some rest. Come apart a while. And uh, so just encouraging that. It's, it's not a bad thing. Just because some people want to say, well, you've got to worship on Saturday, it doesn't make Saturday a bad thing. The Sabbath is a good thing. Just don't misuse it, okay? But you know, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there. All right, let's go to verse number four. <clears throat> These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and, and every herb of the field before it grew for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. So there we find that there had not been any rain upon the earth. Uh, there was a, not a man to till the ground, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. You know, I just ain't going to dive in that much. That just says what it says and means what it says and he did it. Amen. I tell you, I was reading this this week, you know, over and over again, and the part about where he'd take a rib out of Adam's side and made a woman. You think about that? Good grief alive. What am I going to preach on that about? That's just what he did. I ain't going to get up here and act smart. I don't know how he did it. He just did it. Anyway, Lord breathed, and he became a living soul. But, that, but I will say this, this breathed, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, well, there's a, there is something to that breath of life deal. And, it, you know, other men may be able to get on that better than I could, I'm sure. Now, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, 
And there he put the man. Now, anybody ought to know you ought to plant a garden. If God plants a garden, we ought to plant a garden. <laughs> Somebody says, I'm a follower in the footsteps of Jesus. So start planting a garden. <laughs> anyway, oh, eastward Eden. And he put the man whom he had formed. Uh, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree. And here we get in this tree thing that is pleasant to the sight, good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, he made all these different trees, but there's two specific trees that he mentioned. And only one of these trees we're going to talk about here and we're going to talk about another tree. But the tree of life is found in the book of Revelation. Okay. And after they had sinned, God said, put me out of the garden, lest you take of the tree of life and live forever in that fallen state. And uh, so, but what I'm going to get in this morning is this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one we'll be talking about. Underline the phrase in the midst. Now, it said in verse number 10, a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, in which it compassed the whole land of Havilah, there were, where there was gold. And the gold of that land is good. There's better... Bedellium and the ox stone and the name of the second river is Gihon. The same is it that compassed the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittical. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded men saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat it eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God, now he's going to go on down through and, he, and it's going to, we'll hit this later about the uh, creation of woman and so forth. When you get into chapter three, uh, this tree becomes an issue and it's the issue by which the fall of man came. So it's a very, very important issue. And <clears throat> in fact, you know, we, we'll get into it later about how uh, uh, Satan questioned the first words out of the devil's mouth is, yea, if God said, that's one of the biggest things you'll ever know about Satan is he, his whole deal is questioning and casting doubt upon the word of God. And it was about this tree. When you get into verse number six, um, well, verse number two, the woman said, woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, she, she added some things there and left some stuff out. And that's when it got her in trouble. And because remember, he had questioned it first. Then she started messing with it. And then verse four, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. He moves from a casting of doubt to an outright denial, outright denial. And uh, verse number five says, the God knoweth doth know that in the day you eat thereof. That's what the devil's telling her. Then your eyes shall be opened. You shall be as gods knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now we're just going to stop there. But what we have here is that they, they were told not to eat of There's a lot, a lot of different subjects and outshoots of doctrine that comes out of this. But the one this morning we're talking about is the issue of the tree and concerning our salvation and Christ's redemptive work. Uh, we want to look at this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to put up on the board Acts 530, Acts 530. And if you can write it down and reference this, 
And get a hold of this. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth. Acts 5.30. Acts 5.30. We'll be in the book of Acts for just a little bit. I want you to see here while they're preaching in the book of Acts, Peter in verse number 29, the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a what? On a tree. Isn't it interesting? They did not say a cross. They didn't say cross. They said... He was hanged on a tree. On a tree. Uh, go to Acts chapter 10, verse 39. Now, I want you to remember the Holy Ghost wrote this book. Use men to write it, but he, it's the Holy Ghost inspired, all right? It's inspired of God. God oversaw every word, every, everything in it. Acts chapter 10, verse 39. It says, And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a what? Tree. Tree. Why didn't he say cross? Go to Acts chapter 13 and verse 39. Acts 13 and verse 39. Uh, wait just a minute. I got the wrong one. <clears throat> Can somebody help me? See, you want to look up and somebody go to corners. There's, there's another verse in here on the. 29? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Let me change my writing here to 29. You got it. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the what? Tree. Tree. Now, I want to say something to you. If the Holy Ghost records in the book of Acts about the death of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, his substitutionary sacrifice for us, and calls it a tree, then we need to perk up our ears and ask ourselves, why is God calling the cross a tree? And so we're going to be looking at this. Let's go further to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 uh, to see a pattern in the New Testament of this great truth. Second, uh, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. The Bible said, Who his own self, talking about Christ, bear our sins in his own body on the what? Tree. On the tree. Why did he do that? That we should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Uh, let's go to Galatians, chapter, back to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. One of the keystone, by the way, Galatians 3.13 is one of the keystone verses in the entire Bible. And what you, remember from our first teaching in the book of Genesis that everything in the Bible springs out of Genesis, especially the first, chapter, first 11 chapters. All right. In the book of Genesis, we are right at the point in chapter 3 where what's called the curse, and it is the curse, comes upon mankind because of sin. Watch verse number 13 and watch, watch, the, watch the reference back to Genesis in verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. All right, there's the key. Christ was made a curse for us. We were under the curse. He made, was made a curse for us, took, took our place, and removed us from the curse. Look what it says here. For it is, writ, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a what? Tree. Tree. Hmm. So here's these, what, five or so times that the Bible has called the cross a tree. So that's one, I just want to lay this foundation that I'm not off on some just tangent deal here. This is, a, this is a solid biblical issue about the tree. So we're going to look, first of all, at the contrast of the tree today. And I'll probably have some of you looking, at, uh, looking up some verses. But the first thing in the contrast of the tree, of the tree is, uh, if I can pull this thing off, 
is uh, <clears throat> the first tree. Let's do uh, let's do one over here and two over here. The first tree was planted by God. That's in Genesis two nine. Okay. In contrast, the second tree was planted by man. We're just going to go through these, but you watch, you watch these things. The second thing here, the first tree was pleasant to the eye. Can anybody tell me the contrast of that on the second tree? One of the most horrible things that mankind's ever looked at in his life was God hanging on a tree in a bloody bruised and beaten pulp with the curse of God upon him. The first tree was planted by God. The second tree was planted by man. The first tree was pleasant to the eye. But the second tree was a horrible scene. Alright. On the first tree I'm getting all mixed up here. Hang on. Getting my twos and my ones all mixed up. On the third contrast, God commanded them not to eat of the first tree. But in the second tree, God, in the first tree, God said to them not to eat. But on the second tree, God commanded them to eat. Now you say, Reggie, what's, what's the second tree? Let's get this down. Let's make, what's the second tree? The cross. I better back up and make sure we got this. The first tree is that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. The second tree is the cross. So you contrast it. The first tree in the Garden of Eden planted by God. The cross planted by man. For the, second tree, the, the first tree is pleasant to the eyes. The cross, is, the second tree is a horrible scene, and I only go into all that. The first tree commanded not to eat, but the second tree, God commands us to eat. And God commands all men everywhere to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to partake of the, of the second tree. We're commanded not to the first, that first tree, but we're commanded to eat of the second tree. We'll look at it a little bit more on that a little bit later. In fact, the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay. All right. On the first tree here, Satan, de Satan deceived. This, this is wild right here. Satan deceived to get him to eat. On the second tree, he deceives not to eat. There's a pattern in these things. You can't see the spiritual warfare. And I can't see the spiritual warfare as we're going on. But it's there. <clears throat> but the odd thing is, the first tree, deception is involved in both trees. Satan deceived them, her, to eat. Okay? But when it comes to the cross, did you know Satan will sit out there and can deceive you not to partake of the cross? He doesn't want you to do that. He's, he works deception both ways there. All right. Uh, <clears throat> the fifth one here. The first tree, eating of it, brought sin and death. Can anybody tell me what eating of the second tree brings? Life and salvation. 
the first tree involved a thief turned out of paradise. On the second tree involved a thief turned into paradise. By the way, that's the only time in the Bible Jesus ever used the word paradise. It was with the second thief. You say, who's, who, can anybody tell me who the first thief was? If God told them not to eat that tree, what they do? They stole. Adam was a thief. He took that which was not his. A thief was involved in the first tree. A thief is involved in the second tree. The first tree, the thief is turned out of paradise. But in the second tree, the thief was turned into paradise. Okay. All right. Now we're going to look at some comparisons today. And uh, over here on the right hand side. And just this just interest. Just re- say, Reggie, why do you do this for? Let's just en- encourage you in your faith that this is the word of God. Amen. All right. We're going to look at comparisons. And uh, so we'll do the, the first tree and the second tree. All righty. Now, these are comparisons. Both planted where? In a garden. In fact, I'll give you scripture on that. John 19, 41 tells you he's crucified and in that place there was a garden. Okay, both planted in the garden. Secondly, both trees have the phrase in the midst. <clears throat> There's a tree planted in the midst of the garden and Jesus was in the midst of the two thieves. Same phrase there. In the midst is a big phrase. When you get the book Revelation and you're checking out seven churches, he walketh in the midst. Of the, the, you know what you want in life? You want Christ in the midst of your heart. You want him in the midst of your thinking. You want God in the midst of your marriage. You want God in the midst of your home and raising your children. You want God in the midst of your church. Very, very important phrase here. And uh, so both trees had in the midst. All right, both trees had the knowledge of good and evil. Um, the cross is probably the greatest place of knowledge there is in the world. If you were to look at the cross today, what do you, what do you learn by looking at the cross? Let me tell you what bothers me about modern day preaching, modern day church. The cross is either minimized, trivialized, or not, or, or not, or minimized. It's like the cross is, means, doesn't mean a whole lot to the modern day church. <clears throat> There's a song that says, when I survey the cross. I want to I ask you this. What can you learn by looking at the cross? Why is this? Here, yeah. Earth here, we're here. It's the only thing there. Okay. Nothing else. There's no, it, it, okay, there's all kinds of things. So there you go. Now, let's, but why is this man hanging on the cross? Greatest sacrifice ever given to man. But wait a minute. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't sin. Well, 
He never sinned. Why is he on the cross? You learn the principle of substitution and sacrifice. If you honest, I'm not just talking about viewing the cross and saying, oh, there's somebody on the cross. I'm talking about looking at that cross, saying what is going on and why is, going, and why is this thing happening? And this is, this is why I'm telling you, if you want the knowledge of good and evil, look at the cross. Amen. You want to see good? See Jesus. Amen. You want to see evil? See what they did to him. And the cross is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It will tell you, or it's because you ask yourself, if he is innocent and he is, and he is God in the flesh and he is dying, who, what is he dying for? For all of us. For us. And if he's dying, was there some other way? No. That gets back to what Dean is saying. There's no other way. If he died on the cross, then all my efforts and my, what is it telling you? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Amen. We can't save ourselves. Amen. I can't do anything to satisfy the just demands of a holy God. The cross needs to be resurveyed by the Christian church. Amen. And, and this is why we need to look at these trees. There's a verse over there. That said, watch this. Sitting down, they watched him there. And you and I would do well to go off somewhere this week and spend two or three hours contemplating the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we don't contemplate the cross, we'll be contemplating ourselves. And the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If we're not careful, we're contemplating on how good we're living or how well we think we're doing according to somebody's standards somewhere. But if you look at the cross, first of all, it'll let you know you're a sinner. Because if he's dying for me, why is he dying for me? Wicked. He's, you, you mean that my sin was worthy of death? That he had to die in my place? I'm that bad? Yeah. How many would agree with me that we are not looking at the cross like we need to? We are not looking at the cross. And this is part of why I'm having this Bible study because the Lord just deal with me. Reggie, you need to, you just need to back up and you need to take a new fresh look at the cross of Calvary. And what the whole secret is that in Genesis chapter three, he is showing us by this tree study that the cross is the center of centerpiece of God's redemptive work for mankind. It was, it was from the beginning. Amen. And let me just say this to you. The cross of Jesus will truly show you the knowledge. By the way, let me show you something. <clears throat> this, this here uh, knowledge of good and evil in the first tree. If you want to take that to its limit, that is the knowledge of good and evil in the eyes of mankind. Amen. That's a whole different thing than looking at the knowledge of good and evil through the cross. What happens to you when you look at the knowledge of good and evil through man's eyes? Tainted. We will we'll be unbalanced and we'll be, have unjust scales. We'll call, we'll call this evil, but we'll call this good because eh, we, you know, we don't see anything wrong with that. The knowledge of good and evil cannot be, you cannot have true knowledge of good and evil by looking from man's standards. Amen. You have to look at God's standard of what is good and what is evil. If we're not careful, we develop this deal of where we've got our goods and our evils and it's not biblical Amen. and it's not God's es- estimation of our God's, God's word about it. I mean, there's just, it just, it, and we do it easy because 
That's like old B.R. Lakin used to say, if you, if you sin like I do, you're fine. But if you don't sin like I do, you're bad. Man's, right now in America, the media and the council culture, woke culture, they are on a crusade to redefine the knowledge of good and evil in this country. Now, it's ha- this stuff is happening right in front of your eyes. 50 years ago, the average American, without any equivocation, would say that sodomy is wrong. So what are they doing? Man's tree of knowledge of good and evil. Is diff- his, his definition of good and evil is totally different from the, from the, the Bible. And so we're now we're moving to where just this week, and I, you know, I don't know whether to believe this garbage or not. I don't believe nothing except the Bible, to be honest with you. <laughs> but they come out now that, that gets this survey that, that the young people of America, that there has been a surge in kids claiming that they feel possibly that they're not who they, were, who, who they are gen- genetically and gender-wise. In other words, there's transgender stuff. Uh, my daughter, Hannah, won't be here this moment. She'll tell you something that's going on. The medical enterprises of America are pushing this transgenderism like nobody's business because there's massive, massive money in it. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen this girl that, that got on this week. Did you see that? It's the most pathetic thing you've ever seen in your life. I mean, it makes you so angry. You just want to tear your phone up. But this girl, she kind of was kind of a little tomboy kind of, basically, growing up. And so she got in, heard about this, so she got the idea. Well, everybody in her world was just, oh, yeah, you need to have surgery. You need to have all these changes. And she did. Well, now she's older. And she's just crying. And she said, I've been, she said, I'm run. I am run. I will never be the woman God made me, created me to be. And, you know, and she said, everywhere I went, everywhere I turned, everybody was, oh, yeah, you need to get this done. You need to get in the big line that medical people are telling and medical counselors are telling parents that if you don't have this for your child, they'll commit suicide. They'll kill themselves. You don't let your child have this surgery or give them these drugs. They'll kill themselves. We're in Genesis chapter one where our Lord Jesus, the word of God, the eternal word of God that you're going to be judged by, just got through telling you that God created them male and female. And our Lord Jesus Christ reaffirmed that in the New Testament. He said they're created male and female. And I'm going to tell you something. I got some really good news for everybody in here. You ought to be glad for what God made you to be. And there should be no shame or no ill feelings or nothing. If God made you a man, be happy for that. If God made you a woman, be happy happy for that. But you fiddling around with your mind and your heart is not going to change anything. It's the probably in my sight, it's the biggest perpetration of lies of a lie that I've probably ever seen perpetrated on this nation. It's the most sickening perversion. Now, I'm going to, we're just, since we're here, let's go. He said, if you read that, let's just go get it. I'll show you something. Go back to Genesis. I tell you what the problem is. They're t- talking about needing mental rest. You read your Bible, it'll blow your mind. I can't, my mind cannot hold. When it, I'll tell you, especially if the Holy Ghost gets to illuminating things and you start grabbing scriptures and you start seeing life in the world and the, through the lens of scriptures, it will literally, you'll have to back up and say, God, hold off a minute. I can't handle all this right now. But uh, let me see if I can find that. Um, 
chapter yeah boy oh boy I may have to come back to that well here, here's what I get to and I'll find it. I, I, right now I can't find it but it's about made in the image of God made he him there's two big things there. 26. Huh? Is it 26? 126? 126. Yeah. There it is. 26, 27. Let, let's take off on it. And God said, let us, that's the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, make man in our image. Now think about that. God made man in his image. All right. So if somebody's trying to tell people you're not male, you're not female, what are they doing? Lying. They're distorting. They're lying distorting. and they're distorting God's peak creative act yes. of creating mankind. After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish, of the sea and over the fowl, of the air and over the cattle, and over the earth, all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth. Now watch this. So God created man in his. Now, who's the his there? God. What kind, watch this. What pronoun is that? <coughs> Masculine. He, All through your Bible, you'll see God addressed as he, him. God is male. You're supposed to, you, uh, if that chokes you, you're, you're already in bad shape. God is male. No, what's it? He said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, Adam, or created he, God, him, Adam. Adam is a male. And he's created after the image of God. And the whole issue that's going on right now is how the bowels of hell, Satan is coming into America and around the world. And he hates God so much and wants to damage the cause of, of God. That he is twisting the literally first thing about man's relationship to God and in doing so perverting the image of God. That's the whole key of this thing. The whole goal is for Satan to pervert who God is. Boy, I'm telling you what that 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 old boy said that gets my hackles up. (laughs) But that's what it's up to. You see, it's not even just about ruining your life, but it's about distorting the image of God in the eyes of, man, of God's creation, mankind. And then it says, male and female created he them. So this is very clear. You don't need anybody's news commentary. <clears throat> I'm telling you what, I hate to say that, but it's the truth. Until we start, let's do, let's, let's do a devil, because devil, Brother Don, where are you headed to? Right back here. I was going to use you for a devil's advocate this morning. I got to stay back here. You got to stay back here. Okay. Uh, Caleb, you, I hate to pick on you. Would you come and let me be the devil's advocate with you this morning? I want to show you a little something here today about this whole issue, how you deal with it. All right. Caleb's come up to me and he's, let's say he gave me a track and said, hey, you ought to read this. You get time, read that, tell you how to go to heaven. And he might say, hey, by the way, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And I'm, so I'm going to play the devil's, devil's advocate, okay? So I'm going to say <clears throat> to him, where do you get all this stuff from? What do you think I'm, what, who, what are you giving this to me for? What are you bugging me with your gospel for, with your with Bible for? 
I'm not pulled the big one on you. Let's do it different here. I'm going to do the conversation both ways. Now watch this. He said, that, and I say to him, I ain't got any time for that junk. Now I say to him, I suppose you're against uh, the, the, the gay and lesbian people too, aren't you? And he says, yes. And I say, why? Well, and if he says, well, it's just not right. Well, for, for centuries, it's, we, that's, it, uh, uh, I would say, I guess you're against the uh, marriages, same-sex marriages. And he'd say, yeah. And I'd say, why are you against that? And he'd say, well, it's just wrong. That's just not right. And then here's what you hear. Watch this. You hear presidents. You hear congressmen. You hear senators say this. Well, for generations and for millennia, it's been husband and wife. That is no basis for male and female establishment. And what's happening now, you listen to me because you're going to run into family members. You're going to run into friends. You're going to be in places. And the, watch this. It's the basis. What he has to come to. He's a very sincere young man. He's trying to get the gospel out. He's trying to have an influence to Christ. But if he does not establish his basis upon the word of God. Now, here's where Satan has done. Satan has made the American people think and even Christian church people think that you cannot quote the Bible in public. That you can't just quote, and, and I'll just tell you, there's somebody pulled this back here a few years ago, and they went widespread across the United States in Christian circles, that you could secularize the gospel, and you could talk in secular terms and convince people in secular terms, stupidest thing that ever happened in the world. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than me. Too. So now, all right, let's say that you and I are in a college class, and we're having a discussion on same-sex marriage or transgenderism, whatever, and, and, and I say, I believe it's just fine. And I'm all for it. And you say you, it's not. I say, what's the basis? What's, what's your basis? The Bible says it's wrong. Okay, here's the thing you need. You're standing in church this morning. It's probably pretty easy to say that. But if you're out in a workplace or in a conversation among this world, it's not quite so easy to say the Bible says so. And then if I say, where in the Bible does it teach this? You say it's wrong. Show me, show me in the Bible. And by the way, man wrote the Bible. Now, here's the big thing I want everybody in this church house to get that God has dealt with me about, even in the last two years, especially Reggie. Everything you say you believe better be based on Scripture. It will not stand. You cannot say, well, I just don't think that's right. How come you don't think that's right? Because that's not what the Bible teaches. Where in the Bible does it teach that? How does it teach that in the Bible? And if I say to you, well, Let's just, I don't believe your Bible. Let's just suppose I did. God's, God's supposed to be a God of love. How do you answer that? This is how we're getting whipped. Right. Because we will not use the Bible. Recently, there's two sodomite state legislatures in the legislature of Missouri right now. One of them got up on the floor of the Missouri House recently and taunted the Christians in that chamber for not using the Bible. He said, you're all the time saying you're Christians and this is wrong, but I never hear you say what the Bible says about anything. Now that's an open door. But that tells you a lot that they're to the point now of where they feel they can taunt you. You know what they believe? They don't, they don't believe you really believe it or you're too scared to use it. Now, that doesn't mean that you should come with a Bible using it like a chopping axe. 
But it should be able to say, he should be able to say in Genesis chapter one, God created mankind. I pop off and say, I don't believe in creation. You know what he should say? That doesn't change anything. What you say you believe or don't believe doesn't change the word of God. When you're dead and gone in eternity, the word of God will still be forever because God said it is. And by the way, it is in our lifetime and it's still here whether you like it or not. But the fact of it is God said he created them male and female. And God himself is, identifies himself as a male. He. God uses specific pronouns. If he will do that, now you say, that guy can sit there and say, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. Now let me just tell you something right now. There's somebody else working besides the devil in this world if we'll use it. And that's the Holy Ghost of God bearing witness to the truth of the Word of God. Let me just tell you, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are like that. And God is waiting on his people. Right. waiting on his people to use the sword of the spirit Amen. and to proclaim his truth and his light against all of this darkness. Amen. I'm, I'm urging everybody listening to me and everybody in this church, use the word of God. Amen. And you don't have to act like you're some super spiritual person. You can just simply put your hand on the shoulder or just look at him and say, listen, you may be well-intentioned, but your good intentions doesn't mean it's truth. God's word is the truth. Just say it. God's word is the truth. And, and by the way, Jesus, I'm going to tell you, I got into a situation one time in a business place where I was doing a lot of business with a guy. I'd known him for a long time. And we're sitting back here working on some, uh, some uh, printing material. And he says, he just looks at me and says, you know, Reggie, this is, now this has been 15, 20 years ago. He says, maybe even longer than that. He says, Reggie, he said, uh, man, this, this, uh, uh, this uh, gay deal's getting cut. Deal and says, yeah, I, I just, what my mind was not. Was, he says, well, I can't find any place where Jesus said anything against it. Oh, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm sitting in the chair right there and he totally caught off guard. And brother, in my heart, I knew he did, but I couldn't specifically think of something to answer him with. So if you, were, if you were told that, how would you answer? Now, I, I guarantee you, I went home, I started studying. I said, Lord, I know that's wrong. But I didn't have a specific verse of what Jesus said about it. And there's two things you've got to get down, and this is why the Word in the Bible is so important. Jesus Christ is called the Word repeatedly. That's the number one thing you've got to get down. In the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, and the Word was God. Where? From the beginning. All right. All scripture, the beginning to the end, given by God. Okay, so forth. Jesus Christ is the word. You've got to get that down. So that being the case, watch this. From Genesis to Revelation is what Jesus is saying. Yeah. I, somebody asked me about a red letter edition. I said, it's fine, but that doesn't, that's good. I, I, I think it's nice to have a red letter edition, but that doesn't make the black letters not what Jesus said. Okay, you need to get that down. So from Genesis to Revelation, so what I got to do, it, so here's the answer to it. All of God's word is Christ's word about any issue of life. That's the authority of Jesus. He's the word. My Bible that I have is the word of Jesus Christ, God Almighty. All right. Next thing is, and I don't know why I didn't think of this at that moment, but Jesus reaffirmed Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, when he said it was not so, but from the beginning, God created them male and female. Jesus said that in the New Testament. He reaffirmed the creative design of Almighty God 
and confirm that that was the truth of the word of God and that that was the creative design. If I'd have simply said that, I'd have took, and by the way, this guy wasn't being facetious. He wasn't being, he had, at his church, he had heard this at his church. I want to tell y'all, well, I don't know if I should tell this or not, because it's pretty rough. I, I don't want, I'm not, I'm just going to tell you something. I had, I had to take a stand several years ago on a deal on this issue at a meeting, and I took the stand. And, there were, and, and I was surrounded by people who went to church. And the thing that shocked me was the people there were all making accommodations for it, acting like that if you didn't go along with this, you were unloving. Right. And by the end of this meeting, I was made out to be a bad guy. And I'm just going to put this short. Some terrible, terrible, terrible things happened to some people who were being, who, who keyed in on me during that thing. And I tell you what, I don't know. But I would tell you this. If you've got somebody standing on the word of God and you claim you're a Christian and you start taunting them and you start accusing them and trying to twist the truth of the word of God, you better be careful. I'll, I'll, I will just tell you, God took them out. I mean, bam, took them out. And I, I, I'm careful about saying anything like that. But what I am saying is this, is that whenever you're out in life, whether you're at a university, or whether you're at a job place, or whether you're in a church, you better understand this book is the basis for all that you believe. Amen. And it has to be rightly divided, and it has to be the truth spoken in love. Doesn't mean I've got to be mean to anybody. But I tell you, I need a love enough to tell them the truth. Amen. So here's the question. When you're discussing these things, because if you'll watch on any of these news broadcasts, you listen to any of the legislative and senators, especially on the federal level, it's always, they always say statements like this. Well, we've had the marriage between a man and woman for millennia. As if that made it right. That's not the basis. Amen. I don't care if it was 50,000 years marriage being between the man and life. The basis is not what man is doing. The basis is the word of God. Amen. This is true about every issue of life. And until we get back to the basis, the basis, where is the basis of your faith, the basis of your belief? And I will tell you this, you can say it's the Bible but when you put in the Bible, God will put you through a trial of faith to find out whether you really mean that or not, right. whether you cave in or not. And Caleb, I'm sure don't embarrass you, but I'm just using an example. If when you talk to somebody, you better have a basis for if you're going to talk to them about and they ask you a specific question, you better have a basis for it. It better be scriptural and you can't be ashamed of it. And they pop off and say, don't start quoting the Bible to me. Just say, I'm going to quote the Bible to you. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Then here's here's the catch. Watch this. If I'm in his place and I'm over there being the devil, you know what I'd ask him? What is the basis of what you believe? And you need to ask people who hit you about this issue. Ask them, where'd you get that idea? Where's the basis for you to think that it's okay for some male to transfer into a female? Where'd you get the idea that two men ought to get married? Where's the basis of your faith? Right. So you just believe everything the news media tells you to believe. Is that right? You just sit there in your little class and you swallow like a guppy bird everything your professor said. You got on Facebook and because you wanted to be on the end bunch, you did everything they stinking told you to do. Yeah. I have a basis. It's the word of God. You don't have a basis except your little mind. Amen. And I know I've lost them by then because I got in the flesh. <laughs> Thank you, Caleb.
Yes, Dean. You can believe, and I've, run, I've said this a lot of times to people, and unfortunately to church people, you can believe anything you want to believe. It don't make no difference. But when it's all done, the truth's the truth. Exactly. It don't make no difference what you believe. You say, oh, I believe this. People say it like it carries merit. But you have to have... Thank God's word, it don't carry nothing. Uh, if you'll check in the Bible, what did they say? What was the words the prophet used? Thus saith the Lord. Amen. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. If you'll go back and read Bible preaching back in the 18 and 1700s, the preachers were constantly saying, God's word says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. What happened? The Holy Ghost honored that. Because they were using the Bible as the basis of their authority. Now, that's not to mean you should try to beat somebody with the Bible. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about having a basis, a foundation. But watch this. If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is why if I were the devil and you start talking to me about being saved, I'd say, well, tell, what about the Bible? There's all kinds of different Bibles. Who's supposed to? God can't even keep his word straight. Don't talk to me about being a Christian. That's just the way I'd be. If I was a lost man, I'd eat your lunch. Yes. But, but also, when you're talking to somebody, you got to let them know that you, you love the person, but you hate the sin. I know, but that's hard for me to do. <laughs> I, but I mean, I'm not good at it. I'll but, just but, tell you the truth. But we have to. I mean, even in our own life, we, what you're talking about, we've dealt with, and we use the Word of God. You know, man is a liar, but God is the truth. Right. And it's as we ask family members, if God's Word is, is a lie, tell us. Yeah. And all it causes is to let the Holy Spirit do it. Yeah. You, you just, you, you can't, if you plant the seed, let the Holy Spirit do the nurturing of that seed. Amen. And it takes time sometimes. But if they never see the truth, you have to have that. By the way, can I say for your own, for your own peace, you better have the Bible as the basis of your faith. Amen. It can't just be mom and dad said. You go out there and say, well, Pastor Kelly preached this. That don't mean nothing. <laughs> Right. That might ruin it for sure <laughs> with some people. Let's stand. It might, we're late. I'm